ladies and gentlemen, you've heard all the evidence. I submit that this was not a hot-blooded crime of passion. Consider this, a revolver holds six bullets, not eight. That means that he fired the gun empty and then stopped to reload. By the power vested in me by the state of Maine, I hereby order you to serve two life sentences back to back, one for each of your victims. So be it. I'm Andrew Dufresne. Wife killing banker. Why'd you do it? I didn't, since you asked. <laughs> you gonna fit right in. Everybody in here is innocent. Didn't you know that? Hey, what are you in here for? Didn't do it. Rumor has it you're a real cold fish. You think your smells sweeter than most. Is that right? What do you think? I'll tell you the truth. I hadn't made up my mind. <laughs> I understand you're a man that knows how to get things. I'm known to locate certain things from time to time. I wonder if you might get me a rock hammer. A what? A rock hammer. What is it and why? What do you care? Well, if it was a toothbrush, I wouldn't ask questions. I'd just quote a price. But then a toothbrush is a non-lethal object, isn't it? Fair enough. Rock hammer is about six or seven inches long. Looks like a miniature pickaxe. Pickaxe? For rocks. Rocks. Quartz? Quartz. Some mica. Shale. Limestone. So? So I'm a rock hound. At least I was in my old life. I'd like to be again on a limited basis. Or maybe you'd like to sink your toe into somebody's skull. No, sir. No, I have no enemies here. No? Wait a while. Folks around this joint love surprise inspections. They find it, you're gonna lose it. They do catch you with it, you don't know me. You mentioned my name, we'd never do business again. Not for shoelaces or a stick of gum. Now, you got that? I understand. Thank you, Mr. Uh... Red. Name's Red. Red. Why do they call you that? Maybe it's because I'm Irish. I could see why some of the boys took him for snobby. He had a quiet way about him. A walk and a talk that just wasn't normal around here. He strolled like a man in a park without a care or a worry in the world like he had on an invisible coat that would shield him from this place. Yeah, I think it would be fair to say I liked Andy from the start. Andy Dufresne, wrongly accused of murdering his wife and her lover, is tried and sentenced to two life sentences in Shawshank Prison. Very shortly into his time at Shawshank, you saw that he befriends a man named Red. And throughout the remainder of this movie, we follow this relationship that's built between these two characters, Andy and Red. If you guys have never seen Shawshank Redemption before, uh, it is widely rated 
as one of the greatest movies to have ever been created. Like, if you were to go to many top critics' top ten lists, I guarantee you it's on there. Uh, everybody who watches it loves it. It's, it's, it shows so much. The movie highlights personalities that people face in prison, highlights troubles uh, that pr- uh, people in prison face uh, in a very raw Raw manner, I might add, parental guidance advised. We clear? Okay. Parents, head nods. Excellent. Uh, But I'm very excited for us to dive into this movie together because I truly believe that this message that we can pull out of this movie today is so huge, so pivotal for us as the church. Um, And so, but before we get into that message, we first need to come back and get a little bit of plot uh, build up into the movie before we get into the message. So uh, as soon as Andy gets into prison, you see that he meets a whole bunch of, he meets a whole bunch of people. He, he meets with the warden who he ends up working with later on. Uh, he meets this really aggressive guard who's not afraid to beat you senseless. Uh, there's some touchy bullies, okay? Those of you guys who have seen the movie know what I'm talking about, uh, to put it lightly. Uh, But there are also some really great friendships, great friendships that are built, probably some of the greatest friendships that Andy would ever have in his entire lifetime. But the bulk of what we're going to focus on this morning is this relationship that develops between Andy and who would become his best friend, Red. You guys just watched the very first interaction between the two of them while they were in Shawshank Prison, and it was simple. It was a business transaction. But it was, it was enough for Red to see within Andy that there could be more to this guy than he originally thought. There's probably more to this character than he thinks that there could be. And so he says it might be fair to say that he liked Andy from the very start. And so Andy begins to join in to Red's crew. He becomes friends with all of Red's friends. And one of them just happens to be this very sweet old man named Brooks. Here's a picture of Brooks. Brooks was that old guy in the prison that nobody messed with because he was just always so old and nice to everyone. We, okay? This was who Brooks was. Not only that, but Brooks was educated. And because he was educated, it gave him a very prestigious role that came with a little extra freedoms in the prison to be the prison librarian. So every single night, he would load up a cart full of books and run it by each inmate cell, giving books to the inmates, and they'd give them back, and he'd manage the library. And he did this for a long time. Brooks was in Shawshank Prison for 50 years, 50 years of just being, of doing this over and over and over again. And Brooks was living it until one day he gets notified by a guard that his parole is up and that he's going to be released from prison later that week. This, and normally you'd think, like, this would be amazing news, right? This, this is great. You know, I'm about to be released. But we don't see that from Brooks. What we see is him kind of freak out a little bit. Ends up taking a knife, holding up to one of his good friend's throats named Hayward, threatening to kill him because he knows it's the only way that they'll keep him in the prison Andy, of course, of all people, talks him out of it. And Brooks ends up going on his way, ends up being released a little bit later that week. But what we see come out of this conflict 
is, is something, a little bit of a, a tension point between Andy and Red. It's about the only time in the movies about this particular topic where we see them kind of butt heads a little bit, have different viewpoints. And it all starts from this moment, whenever Brooks almost kills his friend. And a minute, you guys are about to watch two clips. And uh, these two clips is one where Red is kind of describing the events right after this has taken place. But then the second one's a little bit later in the movie, whenever it, it kind of illustrates the, the tension point between Andy and Red and what they have to face and struggle through. So check this out. Don't you knock it off? Brooks ain't no bug. It's just... Just institutionalized. The man's been in here 50 years, Hayward. 50 years. This is all he knows. In here, he's an important man. He's an educated man. Outside, he's nothing. Just a used up con with arthritis in both hands. Probably couldn't get a library card if he tried. You know what I'm trying to say? Fred, I do believe you're talking out of. You believe whatever you want, Floyd. But I'm telling you, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. Hey, look who's here. Nice grow. Couldn't play something good, huh? Hank Williams or something? They broke the door down before I could take requests. Was it worth it? <laughs> Two weeks in the hall? Easiest time I ever did. There's no such thing as easy time in the hall. That's right. A week in the hall is like a year. That's right. I'm Mr. Mozart to keep me company. <laughs> so they let you tote that record player down there, huh? He's in here. In, in here. That's the beauty of music. They can't get that from you. Haven't you ever felt that way about music? Well, I played the main harmonica as a younger man. Lost interest in it, though. Didn't make much sense in here. Here's where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. Forget? Yeah, forget that there are places in the world that aren't made out of stone, that there's a, there's something inside that they can't get to, that they, they can't touch. It's yours. What are you talking about? Hope. Hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You better get used to that idea. Like Brooks did. So there arises this tension between Andy and Red. This tension between being institutionalized versus 
living in hope. For the, for the inmates who have lived in Shawshank Prison almost their entire lives, it's, it's hard to picture what life on the outside would look like. Or if, even if they could have a life on the outside, is that even a possibility? And, and so well, the trend that they notice is that the more time that they spent in there, the more institutionalized they became, the more they relied on the system of the prison. In the first scene, you, you see Red explaining this idea. And the funny thing is, is that none of the other convicts there believe him. None of them, like, even agree with him. They say, Red, you're crazy. This is a crazy idea. They couldn't even recognize that it was happening right in front of their faces, that they themselves were also being institutionalized. And honestly, it's very easy for us to look at them and say they are, that's the way it is. But we don't even recognize a lot of the ways that we ourselves are institutionalized as well. And you might think, well, we're not inmates of prison. Brandon, what are you talking about? But if we think about it, we begin to realize that everybody, including myself, are very, very easily we adjust to the lit and live to the reality of the culture we experience every single day. And the, and the longer we live in it, the more ingrained the reality of that culture becomes within us. Whenever uh, Caitlin and I moved here, uh, we quickly, quickly discovered that there are some crazy things you Kansas people do. Okay? And, and I'm from Kentucky. I accept my craziness. Okay? I have some. But you guys, you guys have some too. Okay? Uh, one of them... I don't want to offend anybody. One of them is where you guys call the Arkansas River the Arkansas River. Are we that stubborn? Come on, people. Uh, how about eating cinnamon rolls with your chili? Mm-mm. No. Uh, Ken's Pizza? See, here's the thing with Ken's Pizza. We moved here, and we we're like, okay, where's the best pizza joint? And people were like, oh, you got to go to Ken's. Ken's is amazing. I love Ken's. My favorite pizza. Showed up to Ken's. I'm like, this is it? This ain't, this ain't good pizza. <laughs> I, will say, I will say, Ken's is growing on me. And Ken's is like one of those stops where it's like you get in there, you have it once, you're like, uh, okay, it was okay. And then we come back, and then it gets better, and it gets better, and it gets better, it gets better. Uh, I really live for those cinnamon sticks. Those things are amazing, right? Um, but the other thing is, I don't think I can ever get behind Anchor in. Sorry to tell all of you guys that. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Uh, but for every single one of you who loves one or all of those things that I just mentioned, I guarantee it's because you have grown up or you have lived most of your life here in Hutchinson. And with the increased time in living to a certain place... You've become institutionalized to the culture, to the things that the society likes and does. I'm sure it's only a matter of time before I start calling it the Arkansas River myself, okay? We'll, we'll see where I'm at in a few years. But I can't make any promises with Anchor End, guys. It's just, I mean, it's okay, but it's, it's just not, not choice, okay? Um, now, those are silly examples, but I think the same holds true everywhere. If you're a Kansas fan, you shout rock chalk annoyingly loud. <laughs> you're more likely to be a basketball person 
If you're a K-State fan, you're more likely to be a football person. If you're the parent of a child who plays sports, lots of sports, it's probably not long where you are shouting with every other parent on the sidelines, every overly competitive parent, I might add, at the officials, and some of you even at your own children. If you grew up in church your whole life, like me, or even if you have just been in church for a very long time, you understand that we adjust to a certain lifestyle and to certain traditions that correspond with our beliefs, that correspond with how we were raised. And eventually, even in the church, we become institutionalized by our own religion. Or if you come from a rougher background of life, you might have become institutionalized by the idea that this world can't possibly provide anything that's good for you. Because whenever you look at your history, it's just one bad thing after another bad thing after another bad thing. A broken relationship, a hurt, a pain. And to make matters worse, we adopted this idea that nobody out in the world that we know can be considered trustworthy. We've adopted to this notion that we can't trust people until they prove their trustworthiness rather than giving them the benefit of the doubt and letting them prove their untrustworthiness to us before we can trust them. Even if you're not from a rougher walk of life, that's the reality we live in today. You've probably learned that this world is not the ideal place. It's not. It's not the ideal place that we dream of, that we strive for. This isn't the perfect world, the kingdom of God that was originally created Adam and Eve messed that one up a long time ago. And we know that this is not what we crave, that we crave something better than this. We crave something to be more ideal than this. But somewhere along the line, we stopped trying to make it ideal. Or as Red put it, we got used to the idea of what this world was. We've even coined a term for it. A term for it that we use all the time by saying that something is realistic. We can't have the ideal because that's not realistic. To say this word realistic almost draws out to the fact that the ideal is unattainable. It can't exist. We become more and more pessimistic as time goes farther on. Or in some sense, we end up losing our naivety. This is exactly where red was. He had grown more pessimistic in his time in prison. It, it kind of reminds me of this story uh, from Jesus' life that we read about in, the, in uh, John chapter 5. The story starts with Jesus. Him and his disciples are making their way up to Jerusalem to celebrate some festival that the Jews held. Seems to be a common trend that they traveled to Jerusalem all the time for festivals and other things. And so the, one of the times where they're traveling up to Jerusalem, they are walking into the city. And as, as they walk into the city, something miraculous happens. In typical Jesus fashion, something miraculous happens. So let's check out the story together. It says, now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, the, one of the entrances to the city, a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there 
had been an invalid, had been paralyzed for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I I think this passage is so funny to me because whenever I initially read it, uh, I think of Jesus just walking up to this paralyzed man and he's like, has this sarcastic question. Hey man, you want to get well? How would I, I think, how would I respond and be like, nah, man, I'm good. For real. I, come on. And, and I, it's just so funny to me whenever I think about it. And I think, I just think this person's like, what kind of stupid question is that? Do I want to be well? Of course I want to be well. But really, this question's Brilliant. It really shows to the true knowledge and power of what Jesus had. I think we can read this passage and assume that Jesus just kind of approaches this man and that he had pity or compassion on this person because of how long he had been paralyzed. But really, I think Jesus legitimately knew that he needed to ask this question. He needed to ask, do you really want to be better? Do you want to get well? Do you want to be fixed? Jesus looks at this man and he saw a person who had lived a certain way for so many years of his life, who lived on a mat right next to a pool. He probably didn't even know how to live any other way. That pool became his backyard the people who gathered around the pool would have become his family. And as silly as it sounds, he would have become institutionalized within his own illness. And so whenever Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well? I don't think he knew how to respond because he legitimately doesn't know the answer. Does he want to get well? Does he want to be better? And so this is how the man responds. He says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool whenever the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So he doesn't really give Jesus a yes or no. But to make matters worse, he, this man's been living on the edge, right? Like trying to get into this pool. That, and this pool is known for having healing powers. This is why he responds this way. This way. For it, the, the legend was is that an angel would come down and stir the waters and that the first person to get in would be miraculously healed. And, and so he's, he's waiting for this moment where he can get in, but people keep on hopping down in front of him and nobody has been there to help him get in first, And so the question becomes, how long can a person truly live in hope that he can be healed by a pool? How long can a person really hold on to that? At what point does he just say, this is the way it is? I think this man lost hope in having any sort of healing a very long time ago. I think by this point, the side of the pool was just home. Not to mention, I think this is why he responds to Jesus the way he does. Because in summary, what I read here is, Jesus, I would love to get well, but that's just not realistic for me. That's not realistic for me. 
And so Jesus responds to him. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Get up. I command you, stand up right now and just start walking, please. Now, at this point, this man, this paralyzed man has two options. Either he can just sit still because, I mean, this is just ridiculous, right? I mean, he doesn't even know this man. Jesus, we find out later in the story that he doesn't even know who Jesus is. He has no idea that Jesus is God in human form, that he has this miraculous ability to heal people. He has no idea who this man is. This could just be another man who's coming to poke fun at him, trying to tempt him to do something that he can't do just so he can laugh at him. Or is there a small glimpse of a dream that he could very well be healed? I almost imagine a conversation going on in this man's head, a conversation that, where he has to come down the decision, do I lean into the hope or do I lean into what's realistic? And I think the conversation went a little bit like this conversation that we have between Andy and Red. I think you'll ever get out of here. Me? Yeah. One day, when I got a long white beard and two or three marbles rolling around upstairs, they let me out. I'll tell you where I'd go. To Watton Hill. To what? To Watton Hill. To Mexico. A little place on the Pacific Ocean. You know what the Mexicans say about the Pacific? No. They say it has no memory. That's where I want to live the rest of my life. A warm place with no memory. Open up a little hotel. Right on the beach. Buy some worthless old boat and fix it up new. Take my guests out. Charter fishing. They want the nail. In a place like that, I could use a man that knows how to get things. I don't think I could make it on the outside, Andy. I've been in here most of my life. I'm an institutional man now. It's like Brooks was. Well, you underestimate yourself. I don't think so. In here, I'm the guy who can get things for you, sure, but outside, all you need is the yellow pages. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Pacific Ocean? About scare me to death, something that big. Not me. I didn't shoot my wife, and I didn't shoot her lover. Whatever mistakes I made, I paid for them, and then some. That hotel, that boat, I don't think that's too much to ask. I don't think you ought to be doing this to yourself, Andy. This is just pipe dreams. 
I mean, Mexico is way hell down there, and you're in here, and that's the way it is. Yeah, right. That's the way it is. It's down there, and I'm in here. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living. You get busy dying. Andy. Fred. If you ever get out of here, do me a favor. Sure, Andy. Anything. There's a big hayfield up near Buxton. You know where Buxton is? There's a lot of hayfields up there. One in particular. It's got a long rock wall with a big oak tree at the north end. It's like something out of a Robert Frost poem. It's where I asked my wife to marry me. I went there for a picnic and made love under that oak and and she said yes. Promise me, Red. If you ever get out, find that spot. At the base of that wall, you'll find a rock that has no earthly business in a main hayfield. A piece of black volcanic glass. There's something buried under it I want you to have. What happened? What's buried under there? You'll have to pry it up to see. Get busy living or get busy dying. This was the decision that the paralyzed man had to make. This was the choice. The only question was, did he have enough hope to try to stand up? Did he have enough promise, enough optimism to try it? Jesus tells him to stand up and walk. And immediately he stands up, picks up his mat, and starts walking. It makes me wonder how many of us would actually stand up. I mean, would I stand? Would I even try to stand? Or would I think that Jesus was just this crazy dude? Would you try to stand after 38 years of disappointment, of depression, of getting used to what life was? Would you dare to hope for something greater? See, the thing about hope is that it requires an impossible dream. It, it, it takes a serious hope and optimism for this man to be willing to just stand up. For us within our faith, our faith is built on hope. It takes a hope and an optimism to think that there's a God out there who loves and cares for each and every single one of us, even the ones that don't even know him. It takes a serious hope to believe that God could come down to us, live a life with us, die for us, to save us. It, it takes a hope to believe that there is a plan in place where God is currently working to redeem this world back to what it was always intended to be. 
Jesus calls out to us, just like he called out to the man, and he asks you, do you dare to hope in that dream? Do you dare to wish for that dream? Do you dare to leave your institutional mindset of the world and have a hope of what I have planned? Do you dare to hope that you, that your church could make a big impact on this county? Do you believe that our church can reach 28,680 people in Reno County who claim no religious affiliation, no church, nothing? This is what we say whenever we are for. This is what we mean whenever we say we are for. We are for Reno County. We are for these people because these are people who we want to reach in order that they may come to have a relationship with Jesus. It is the 28,680 people who we are called to, who we as a staff feel that our church and I hope you as a church feel this too, feel called to reach these people. Tomorrow we're going to be doing something that kind of goes along with that mission. We're just going to be going to take over a park. Real simple. We're going to show up to this park and uh, we're going to supply ice cream for everybody who's there. But also at this park, the community provides lunches for kids who... And if, so if you want a free meal for your kids, come bring them by. For the kids, 1 to 18, everybody, all those kids get a free meal. But we'll also have ice cream for everybody. But this is just an opportunity for us to just hang out with new people, get to engage in the world with new people, and be able to invite them to possibly come here where we have built an environment where they can easily, as easy as possible, come to know who Jesus is. If you can be there, please be there. Because it takes all of us to make a big impact in this world. It's going to take all of us living in hope in order to reach the 28,680 people. Because that's the goal. This is the goal. And I firmly believe that we could do it. And you might look at that number and think, that's crazy. That's not realistic. Maybe not. But we're not called to be realistic people, are we? We're called to be the optimistic people in the pessimistic world. We're called to be creating the ideal in the imperfection. We're called to be a light in the dark, salt of the earth, a source of hope in this world. And as long as we keep on shooting for realistic, we will never achieve this goal set before us. We must release ourselves from this institutional mindset we have put ourselves in and adopt this perspective of a mountain-moving faith, a faith in a God that can do anything because the only way that we will accomplish this is if God is working and if God is working through us. To have a faith and a hope to stand up It's the hope we require. It's the hope that God requires. For Andy, it was the hope of a little tiny rock hammer. 
Andy would end up using this, this rock hammer to tunnel himself out of Shawshank Prison. It took him about 20 years, night after night, just tunneling out little by little this entire tunnel. But eventually he was able to escape and being the only person to have ever done it, shake, uh, escape Shawshank Prison. A little time later, we find that Red is up for a parole hearing. And while in there, the parole board decides, let's release him after 40 years. And so Red goes out into the world and he struggles to find his place, much like Brooks did. Brooks ended up killing himself because he couldn't find his place. Red was at the point where he couldn't decide where he was contemplating actually buying a gun so that he could break his parole and be sent back to prison. That is until he remembers a promise, a promise he made to a dear friend years ago. Dear Red, if you're reading this, you've gotten out. And if you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. You remember the name of the town, don't you? Say what to nail. I could use a good man to help me get my project on wheels. 
I'll keep an eye out for you and the chessboard ready. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. I will be hoping that this letter finds you and finds you well. Your friend, Andy. second time in my life, I'm guilty of committing a crime. Parole violation. Of course, I doubt they'll toss up any roadblocks for that. Not for an old crook like me. Fort Hancock, Texas, please. I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey, whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. True redemption, the absolute truest redemption, doesn't only come through freedom, but through the perseverance of a hope, a hope in the heart. That's what Red's redemption was all about. Red's redemption from Shawshank was all about the hope that he could gain. And it is the same for us with our redemption through the blood of Christ. And that's what it's all about. Let me pray for us. Father, we uh, thank you for just everything that you are. For everything that you've given to us, for everything that you've created for us, for this mission that you've given us, despite its difficulty, despite how hard it is for us, Father, we thank you for your patience. And Father, I, I pray for us as a church that you would make us the out-of-the-mind people that would be crazy enough to think that they could reach 28,000 people. 
that you would make us so gung-ho on faith that it requires an expectation for you to move. Father, we know that you're moving and doing miraculous things already. Awaken our eyes, awaken our hearts to see it, to be part of it, and to share it with everyone that we possibly can. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us uh, this week. If you can join us tomorrow at the park, Fairground Park at 11, please do so. Uh, Other than that, see you guys next week.